Welcome to the Bible Savvy Podcast, a weekly conversation on how to understand, enjoy, and apply God's Word. I am your guest host today, Eric Ferris, and I'm joined by teaching pastor Clayton Keenan and special guest, our groups director at Christ Community Church, Lindsay Jots. Lindsay, welcome to the podcast. Hi, hi, guys. It's good to be here. Glad I don't, you're here. I don't have my iPad today. No, it, no, no celebratory Nikki, noises. No, uh, no celebratory iPad, noises. Like, what are we, we going to do? Lindsay will more than make up for this. We can improvise. I got this, guys. We can do okay. it. Okay. I, I know that the listeners are probably glad that my sound effects panel is not with us. They're probably disappointed that Nikki is not with us today for this episode. So, Lindsay, you have to bring it. Okay. I will I will channel Nikki. Okay. I will and, do my best. And the sound effects panel. All okay. the all the joy I have and enthusiasm. I'm a seven year old. My life is surrounded by basically your sound effects panel. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> so I think she just called me juvenile in some, some was, sideways manner. It was very right, it was well, very kind well, though. I did it in a kind way. Lindsay, it is our custom on the podcast to get to know our guests a little bit better. So we always have right. questions for our guests. And so we actually have two for you today. The first one is about Christmas, and the second one is about theology. Are okay. you ready? Okay. Okay. So the Christmas question is, what is your favorite Christmas movie, and what is your least favorite Christmas movie? All right. My favorite Christmas movie is National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. It is so <laughs> nice. funny. I know. I just think it's hysterical, like, from the beginning when he's driving with the tree, like, dug out of the ground on top of his car all the way till the end. Like, it's just chaos the whole time. It's so great. My favorite... My favorite scene in that movie is when he oils or puts the silicone spray on the sled because it's so absurd. The whole scene is just so absurd. Bingo. I love that at the end. Um, And then I know this is uh, potentially problematic, but my least favorite Christmas movie is The Christmas Story. And it's only because I've seen it so many times because it's on for like 48 hours at Christmas time. This and is true. If any movie is going to wear itself out, it's that. Yeah. Unless you're me, in which case it is my favorite movie mm-hmm. of all time in any category. I, I, I've i never seen that movie too much. My family, on the other hand, definitely has. <laughs> my in-laws would send me to the basement to say, okay, go do your movie thing because they don't want to deal with it anymore. So Go hang out with Ralphie. Clayton. Oh. Oh, that that hurts, but meat we're still love. glad you're here. We're still glad you're here. Meatloaf, schmeatloaf, <laughs> double beatloaf. I what, hate meatloaf. What does the piggy say? How does the piggy eat? <laughs> oh, I right. the number of times when I go, not a finger, when they like, oh, the, oh, the, the lamp and the everything. We really need to start doing a video podcast so people could see how enthusiastic you are right now, Clay, about, <laughs> about that movie. Few things get me as enthusiastic yeah, as this, that. His excitement is definitely lost on an audio medium. All right, Lindsay, here's your second get-to-know-you question. It's the would-you-rather question with some embedded theology. Mm. Would you rather have been around at the creation of the world or be around at the end of the world? Hmm. This might be the hardest question we've ever asked a guest. That is. That's hard. I would say the beginning, uh, partially because if I believe everything about the end of the world is true, I will also be there for like the very end part, which is super cool. It's kind cool. of a twofer if you... It's a twofer yeah. if you do that. Plus, Genesis 1 through 3 is one of... It might be my favorite part of the Bible because it's just... I mean, it's all there, beginning with the Trinity and the story of Jesus. Like, all of it's there. Plus, it's a really cool garden. Like, I would have loved to see that. 
I heard it one time explained, um, I think it was on the Bible Project podcast where he was talking about like, do you, do you like blueberries, for example? And he's like, you've only tasted blueberries in a fallen world. Imagine what they'll taste like in heaven or like what it tasted like in the garden. And I'm like, oh, I want to eat all of the unfallen food. That sounds amazing. So unfallen food and Genesis 1 through 3 sounds cool to me. So I'll be there at the beginning. I feel like I, I'm in trouble in this episode. That's good. Because you two are like two peas in a pod. Nerd alert. Uh, oh, it's All tough. Right. It's tough when you have people who like good stories and good theology. And... All right. I'll well, take I'm, that as a very high compliment. I am the host today, so I am wrangling this back to me so that you two don't start making fun of me. <laughs> so We've got time. We are, we we are got time. in, speaking of beginnings and ends, we are in the book of Ruth today, and we are actually going to talk about the very beginning of Ruth. And the very end of Ruth. We're actually going to cover the whole book in one podcast episode. And so here's what we're going to do today for the comma method. Uh, We are going to read the first five verses of Ruth. Then we're going to talk about context. And then we're going to talk, we're going to read the last several verses of Ruth and talk about that text. Perfect. All right. So Clayton is going to be our reader today, reading Ruth verses one through five, chapter one. All right. Here we go. In the days when the judges ruled, There was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judea went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of the wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judea. They went to the country of Moab and remained there, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The names of the one, the name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Kilian died, so that the women, the the women, uh, the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. All right. So C in the comma method is context. So let's start here with the first verse of Ruth chapter one in the days when the judges ruled. So we're coming out of the book of Judges. So we're very familiar with that is not a great period of time in Israel's history. And the way that the book of Judges ends is terrible. Yeah. Not nice and light. I mean, it is the worst depraved part of humanity Mm -hmm. described as Judges. I heard someone recently say, they thought it might be the lowest point in the Bible. Mm-hmm. It's like, really just, hard to read. It's, it's gross. Mm-hmm. So you have rape, you have murder, you have dismembering human bodies. It is, it yeah. is uh, mm-hmm. civil war. There's all, there's, it's nuts. All right. So the book of Judges, obviously we've been talking about the cycles in the book of Judges mm-hmm. um, that Israel rebels against God, ignores God, oppression comes, they cry out for help, they repent, God sends a rescuer. They, they have a period of peace, but then they go right back to their evil, depraved, forgetting God's ways. And this cycle just keeps getting worse and worse and worse and worse. So we're reminding ourselves here with context that this story that we read in Ruth is happening during that period of time. Mm-hmm. So you have something beautiful and redemptive happening mm-hmm. even in the darkest times of Israel's history. The last verse we read here as we're talking about context says that Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. So Clayton, uh, in as we explore context, why is that a big deal? Um, it's a big deal because if you're a woman in ancient society, uh, you don't have a lot of recourse other than your family network. So uh, your husband or your father um, or your sons really are 
uh, the way you uh, are provided for, protected, and represented in society. So um, whether we like that or not, this is the way ancient societies worked. And so for a woman like Naomi to be left without her husband, well, she's on her own. So, But normally, her sons would take care of her. But her sons have died. So she doesn't have any of the people who would normally represent her. And that means um, no matter where she is, she doesn't have land. Uh, she doesn't have legal, legal representation. And it's very easy for her to be taken advantage of in lots of different ways. All right. So Naomi, Naomi is in a bad spot. So we're not going to talk about the entire story of Ruth in this podcast episode. We're actually going to go all the way to the end. So let me say a, f- a few things about context, just kind of telling the story a little bit so that we can fast forward all the way to the end. So you have Naomi. And they, they move because there's a famine in Israel. So they move to a different country, Moab. Naomi has a husband who dies. Naomi also had two sons and they got married. So you have Naomi and her husband, you have her two sons and their wives. So Naomi's daughters-in-law. All of the men in that equation die. So Naomi's husband dies, her two sons die. So what you have left is three widows living mm-hmm. in this area. Naomi is from Israel, but living in Moab. The two women, the, her two daughters-in-law were Moabite women, right? Mm-hmm. So they find out the famine is over in Israel. So Naomi wants to go back to her hometown of Bethlehem. So, but one of her daughters-in-law stays in Moab, Orpah. The other one of her daughters-in-law, Ruth, decides to go with her mother-in-law back to Bethlehem. So they have Ruth and Naomi. They go back to Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful act of like self-sacrifice to, to stay with her. It's such a lovely part of the story. Yeah, we, we think of things like moving to another country as relatively easy. Like you might, mm-hmm. it's not, not like if you choose to do it, mm-hmm. you think, well, I might be able to do this in today's society. Mm-hmm. Now, it's difficult for some people, but it's something you could opt to do. Um, but in those days, this was incredibly difficult. for So for Ruth to say, I'm going to go someplace where I, I'm not from there. I don't have family there. You're the only person I have. And you're not even, you don't even have a husband. Um, is is it's an act of faith. It's a risky mm-hmm. thing. Well, and she's giving up the opportunity to go and be back with her people and be married off again by her yeah. family. So that's really, I mean, she's sacrificing so much in that moment. So as we dial the story forward, Ruth and Naomi move back to Bethlehem. Ruth is out in the field, working the field, and she meets a guy named Boaz, whom she figures out is a close relative And she knows that he is an eligible kinsman redeemer. Now, for context, you have to know what a kinsman redeemer is. So, Clayton, you don't already know what that means. It's not such a common term. I want Clayton because he's really good at concise (laughs) explanations. (laughs) I mean, it's in my common vernacular. I use it all the time. Clayton, what's Um, a kinsman redeemer? (laughs) The, the, way to, the way to think of kinsman redeemer is think insurance policy. Okay, so if something happens as a crisis in your life, and especially if you don't have your, a situation like Naomi where uh, the, either your father, your husband, or your son has died, you don't have them, then what happens to your land, what happens to your property, what happens to your well-being – Someone else in your family is going to need to take care of you. So there's no social safety net. There's no, you know, you can't uh, get, you know, government services. There's nothing like that for someone who's vulnerable. And so what they said was the kind of system that got it set up was the next closest male relative was responsible for taking care of those things. And so some of the things that would happen, uh, especially when it came to land, because land was so important. If you don't have land, your kids are going to starve, um, was that the next closest uh, family member had the first right to buy back any land that you had to sell away. So you get in poverty, you sell all your stuff and your land goes to somebody else. 
but that leaves your kids impoverished. So who's going to get it back? It's going to be the next uncle or cousin or someone who's close in line, but they've got to spend some of their own money to buy it for your your family line so it doesn't leave that. Um, and along with that came other things like taking care of your kids. Um, if uh, a woman, what uh, her husband died and she had no children, then one, this is weird to us, but one of the things that might be required of a kinsman redeemer would be to marry the woman and have children who would then inherit the family land that was previously lost. So there's a number of things that are a little weird, but it's basically the insurance policy, the protection that you had mm-hmm. uh, in a society where there, there weren't these big overarching systems. Mm-hmm. So if you got worn out reading the book of Judges, being reminded <laughs> of the evil and the mm-hmm. depravity and the fallen state of humanity, mm-hmm. you get into Ruth and you see a beautiful story that is emerging during this dark time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not going to explain how this whole story plays out, mm-hmm. but we're going to fast forward now and simply say that Boaz steps up as the kinsman redeemer and marries Ruth and she gets pregnant and has a kid. So now Naomi has male protection in the family and offspring that is a son, Mm -hmm. which once again in the ancient world is a big deal. And it's an even bigger deal as we all sit here and talk about this today because something else comes out of that that is a big deal. Mm -hmm. So now we're going to read the end of Ruth. So go for it, Clayton. We're reading uh, chapter four, starting at verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. All right, we normally don't know what, know what to do with genealogies, but maybe we'll... This one's got a little bit of a... A little more straightforward. A little easier. <laughs> We can, we can figure out where this is going. I think we got this one. So <laughs> we just spent a long time on the mm-hmm. sea of the common method, which is context. Now mm-hmm. we're in the observation. So what do you guys see in this text? I think the first thing that stood out to me is how the first one is really uh, the theme of it is a focus on loss. Like we talk about how there's famine and there's death. And these women, uh, Naomi becomes a refugee because of all of this loss. So we've got this whole opening of the story that is focused on loss. And then you move into the second half of this, the second half of our reading today, and the entire focus is on hope. There's a return, a restoration, there's life and birth and um, this beautiful genealogy. So it's like this really great juxtaposition between the two things where you can see kind of the arc of the whole story laid out in those two pieces where it's just there's, there's this profound loss and then at the end of loss is hope. And I think that's a really beautiful, just even analogy for, for a lot of things. But that was the first thing that stood out to me was that theme. One of the things about that theme that that, I, that stood out to me was I kept thinking about the book of Genesis. Mm-hmm. So the book of Genesis starts off with 
a curse on uh, the land producing food mm-hmm. and uh, women having babies. So these two <laughs> things, uh, and, and death is coming. Mm-hmm. And so you start off this with, uh, they've got no kids, no food, and mm-hmm. death is stalking them. So it's not, it sounds very much like the big picture of humanity from mm-hmm. Genesis 3 on. Um, and, and, you, and it feels like the story of the, uh, the women in Genesis who they, they don't have children. There's these repeated stories mm-hmm. of God providing a child uh, for someone who had nothing. And so it, this feels very much like a patriarch, matriarch kind of story. And, and almost like you, you, you feel like you're back in those days mm-hmm. of these people who kind of started the kingdom, started, you know, the, the people of Israel. Um, this is another one of those kind of stories. It feels that yeah, way. Yeah, it's got a familiar construct to other stories that we're yeah. familiar, we've already become familiar with. Good. What else do you see in this text here in chapter four? Anything else jump out to you? Uh, David. <laughs> yeah, isn't that a weird, <laughs> it's a weird throw in, isn't yeah. it? Like the whole the whole rest of the book, you're like, oh, this is a nice. It's it's a beautiful story, and so you're like, oh, this is really nice. And and then at the end, it's sort of like, and this is why it really matters. Surprise, it, plot twist. It's like the, you know, if if all of a sudden, <laughs> I mean, we don't we don't have the same kind of figures mm-hmm. as David in our life. You know, like our society sure. doesn't quite have the same sort of heroes. But it'd still be like if you were like watching a movie, and it was the a great character story or whatever, and then and the final scene. George Washington is born mm-hmm. or Abe Lincoln is born. And you're like, oh, I didn't realize it was about him. You know, mm-hmm. like there's, there's something um, that goes back and rewrites the whole story. It tells you, wait, maybe this is more than just a simple tale. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's supposed to tell me something bigger about our society and what matters to us. Mm-hmm. Like it's got a very similar concept to the way uh, the end of the story of Joseph goes, where it's, you know, everything makes no sense and everything seems awful. And then at the end, he's like, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And so it's the same kind of theme, like you said, the same construct. We're, from, we're starting to become familiar with this, stru- this structure of story. Um, and it's really similar. Yeah. The, the introduction of David mm-hmm. at the end of the story of Ruth jumped out to me as well. And it, it reminded me to go back to verse one of chapter one, because mm-hmm. I, I find it a yes. really, I, I love the way the story is written. In the days... When the judges ruled, mm-hmm. which the number one descriptor of the period of the judges <laughs> is Israel had no king, right? Yeah. And yeah. then you get to the end of the book of Ruth, and it's gonna it's gonna tell you that this is where King David comes from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just love that. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's brilliant. What else do you guys see? Um, at the f- in the first part of this, the reading um, in chapter one, there's really no reference to God. There is, it's talking about um, kind of this family structure. It's really setting up the story and really focusing on what happens to Naomi and all of the things that are happening in her, in her world. And then we get to the end and then all of a sudden it's praise be to the Lord. The Lord was with her. The Lord gave uh, Ruth a son. There's all these references to the Lord. The Lord enabled her to, her to conceive. So in the beginning, when everything is dark and feels like loss, like I said before, there's no, no mention of God. But then all of a sudden we get to the piece of hope and we're like, this is the, the Lord is working in this story. And so I, I, that really stood out to me how he's not there, at least not mentioned in that first part. And then he, there's, he's all over the second part. There's, a, there's an interesting part as you read the book of Ruth, you'll notice that, that God is mentioned fairly rarely. Like there's mm-hmm. a few mentions, but compared to a lot of other books, it's not very often. Uh, but there are a number of places where it says, it just so happened. <laughs> there's like a bunch of them where you're like, mm, uh, really? Mm-hmm. Just so happened? Like it's a, it's a wink at mm-hmm. us to say, 
there may be more going on. It's like that Joseph story. Mm-hmm. It looks like God's absent, but in the end you realize he, he was orchestrating all along how the story would end up, you know? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. It's not a happy coincidence that she ended up at this particular house in this particular field with this particular person. Yeah. The other thing that jumped out to me in the chapter four text is the name Obed. Uh, just because I've been reading the Bible enough to mm-hmm. know that they were really good at naming people in the Old Testament. <laughs> and there's always meanings. Their yeah. names always mean something, right? And so whenever I see an Old Testament name, it's worth looking in your study notes or the footnote to find out what does that name mean. And sometimes the text just flat out tells you mm-hmm. which means this, right? So uh, Obed means what? Did you guys see it in your study notes or your footnotes? Mm-mm. What it, does it mean? It means servant of God. Mm, there we go. So here you have... I just now I'm just going to try to kind of bring this together a little bit <laughs> as we move towards the first M in the comma method, which sure. is message. It says in chapter four, the women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a redeemer. Mm. The offspring's name means servant of God. And then we get the genealogy it says the lineage, by the way, this is the lineage that gets you to King David. Mm-hmm. And the lineage of King David gets you to the Redeemer, the servant of God mm-hmm. that comes out of Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. Remember, this story is coming out of Bethlehem. So this is... It's amazing foreshadowing. This That's whole thing is, is showing us something that is coming, that is just... Mm-hmm. I, I am so in awe of how the book of Ruth is put together. Mm-hmm. It's really amazing. It's 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 composed really well. Mm-hmm. It's worth, um, if you watch the Bible Project video about it, they do a great job showing how each chapter is structured and kind of how it weaves together. It's very, it's it's beautifully constructed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we bring up the Bible Project videos all the time on the podcast, obviously because we're huge fans, but mainly because we think they're really, really helpful. Mm-hmm. So once again, uh, we are... Reading the book of Ruth, if you have not watched the Bible Project video on the book of Ruth, we would suggest strongly that you do that. I think you find it really helpful, and they're actually enjoyable to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can find the Bible Project videos at Bible Savvy. Bible Savvy. Bible Savvy. You know what we need in this podcast episode? An actual good host. That's what we need. Where is Nikki? She can actually it's almost say, like you had she, one and she's not here. She can say words correctly. <laughs> Bible Savvy. Bible Savvy. Dot com. Mm-hmm. All right. So I got us into the M and the comma method, which is message. Mm-hmm. What message would you draw from this text? Oh, my gosh. Um, I think... If I look at this, and as we talked about the context of where it falls in the storyline of the Bible, I don't think it's accidental. Obviously, it falls next to Judges because it happens at the time of Judges. But it also, I think it serves as a really good foil to the book of Judges because we just got through all of these really confusing laws and all this confusing stuff and the you know where it's positioned that don't seem to matter. But then at least in our in our society we don't really understand them and we just saw it all go really wrong right we just watched the book of Ju- or read the book of judges and it's basically like worst case scenario this is what happens but then we have Ruth who we see this this profound sense of loss we see the creation of a widow uh, Ruth becoming an orphan both of them taking turns being strangers and then we see those Levitical laws, those laws that God created to protect those people, and then we see what happens when it's done right. 
the Levitical law was really written to uh, protect the people of God. And a big group of those people that it was designed to protect were the widow, the orphan, and the stranger. Those are all over those laws. And so we see all three of them come out in this story. We see Naomi and Ruth both be widows. We see them take turns being strangers, first one in Moab and then one in Israel. And then we see also Ruth opting to become an orphan to follow Naomi. So we see all of these three kind of uh, types in this story at the beginning when we're talking about loss. We're talking about all of this heavy stuff. And and Naomi even calls herself Mara. Like she calls herself like, tell, like it's a like grief or something. And so we see this really hard situation. And then we see the Levitical laws play out in the way they were supposed to. So it's really a good juxtaposition to the book of Judges where we've seen it all go terribly wrong. And it's Instead, when they're done right and when someone is following the the law of God and the direction that he wanted for his people and his heart for his people, we then get to the end where we see this glorious story of hope that points to Jesus. I mean, come on, like there's nothing cooler than seeing what God intended for people and then it bringing about ultimate redemption. So it's a story of redemption inside a story of redemption. It's very cool. Wow, we need to bring. Excited. We need to bring her back more often. <laughs> yeah, that's right. A story of redemption inside a story of redemption. What are those the, things called? That like the nesting the dolls, the nesting, nesting doll, doll? Yeah. It's like in, the inception of, of mm-hmm. theology. All right, it's so like everybody remember this: dream. the book, the Old Testament book of Ruth, is the biblical it's equivalent of the Russian nesting dolls. <laughs> All right, so Clayton, your oh, message. Man, how do I follow that up? So um, I think I'm gonna say. I'm going to focus a little bit on Boaz's part in the mm-hmm. story. So he is this redeemer. Um, obviously, that that word is significant because it's a model for what uh, God does for Israel and then uh, Jesus does for all of us. So, um, so that we're supposed to see that as as a good example. But what's amazing about it is it's really when you read the story relatively ordinary. So he's someone who's in need shows up at his at his land, and he just does what he's supposed to. Mm-hmm. Like he just. It's sacrificial. Mm-hmm. It's not convenient, but he does what he was supposed to, uh, and he and he redeems uh, mm-hmm. her and this family. So I, I look at that and I say, um, ordinary faithfulness leads to extraordinary impact. I, that, that sounds now that I say that it sounds a little <laughs> bit cheesy, but this is mm-hmm. what this is what we're talking about. This is this is like an average guy. Mm-hmm. This is not like he's not like I'm in the royal line. Like no, like this is not no one. He doesn't have his eye on changing the world, but he's just saying this this uh, poor woman showed up at my farm, and and this started a chain of events where he did the right thing, and the result was King David and ultimately Jesus. So the like sometimes we look at like the ordinary acts of we just did what we were supposed to do mm-hmm. as kind of like passing incidental things. But in this case, like you get to see how that plays out in the big picture, which is a massive, massive impact on the entire world. Mm-hmm. And so that, that ordinary faithfulness leads to extraordinary impact. Um, I, I just, it's profound to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have, we're really lucky to have the like retrospective insight to look back and be like, this guy did this one thing that was so common that they had a way of doing it. They like, we know we go to this and we do the thing with the shoes and whatever. <laughs> and yeah. Read, read, read it for the shoe thing. It's, it it's the, weird. No it's, one knows what it means. <laughs> but it's, it's, there's a shoe thing and they do it. And, but so they already had a way of doing it. So it wasn't like this big 
ritual that yeah, we happened. came up with this new way to change the world. Yeah. It's like they just did what they were supposed mm-hmm. to. And he had a choice and yeah. he made the choice made to do the, the right, right thing. Yeah. And we have the beauty of, which we don't always get in our own lives when we make small choices to do the right thing. We don't always get to see the amazing glory of it, but this is like, I mean, come on. And to, and it's not like, it's not like Boaz, uh, given, given the number of generations here, so, you know, mm-hmm. he's like four generations away from David or something. Odds are, he wasn't alive mm-hmm. to see David become the king or to become a legend. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like to, to be this ultimate, you know, hero. Um, so he didn't know. Mm-hmm. It, but in the long run, that's what happened. Mm-hmm. So my message is God is in the business of redemption. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, both in Ruth's story and then I think what the genealogy here at the end of Ruth is doing is pointing to the fact that Israel had no king. God was going to establish David as king. Mm-hmm. And then through David's offspring, he knew that ultimately the Messiah was going to come, mm-hmm. which is the ultimate redeemer. And so what I'd like to do now for meditation, uh, which is just prayerful pondering. This is where we always say, this is where your prayer life and your Bible study life intersect. <laughs> You're going to take some time to pray and invite the spirit of God to uh, bury deep inside of you what he wants you to get out of the text for the day. And so I'm going to take verse 14 from chapter four as our meditation. During the podcast, we do this for 45 seconds. So ponder this verse. Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a redeemer. All right, so we move on to the A and the comma method, which is application. And before we do, I just want to point out, this is a really good Christmas episode. We've got Bethlehem and babies and redeemers. It's so good. It's great. You know, the line of David and all that stuff. We're, That's we're awesome. In it. It's like we planned this, but we didn't. It wow. just happens to be where we are in the Bible reading. It's almost so, it's someone, almost like we have a God that like knows what's going on. Someone think God it. is you got you think God is sovereignly orchestrating our podcast episodes? Uh, he that's might a, be. That's a bold statement. <laughs> Depends right, on what you believe see. to be true about the sovereignty of God. <laughs> okay, we're off course. Application <laughs> on Ruth chapter four. All right, so I'll I'll say you know uh, on the idea of ordinary faith mm-hmm. faithfulness. Um, I I think it's what like the application is keep my eyes open. So mm-hmm. Boaz wasn't out like looking for Ruth. It was the situation that presented itself mm-hmm. that he said this was my assignment. I'm going to respond to this right now. So it's keeping your eyes open to that. And I also think um, even just offering up those things that I feel like are, well, I just did that today. Like I just, my day wasn't exactly what I planned or I did this ordinary thing and saying, mm-hmm. God, I want you to take this and do with it what you will. Like there's something really freeing to say, I don't have to f- make myself a big deal. You can make whatever impact you want out of the ordinary things I did. Mm-hmm. Good. Lindsay, what's your application? I would say that um, kind of going back to that arc between um, the loss and then the hope in conjunction with, you know, the tying it back to the, the laws of God is saying, no matter how bleak things look, 
trust that God's purposes and his plan are for your redemption. Really trust that if you follow the 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 laws of God the and you're obedient to what he is calling you and asking you to do, even if it's, you know, like you said, the common ordinary moments, or it's just a matter of saying, I don't understand, but I'm going to follow what I know to be obedient and who I know God to be. And then just trust that there is redemption in that because we see kind of a case study here of when we do what we're supposed to do, when we follow those those laws and are obedient to to the being the person that God is calling us to be and living the life that God is calling us to live, then his faithfulness is is there. He will there is hope at the end of it. And it might not look like this full arc redemption, but we have to trust that following that in a, with obedience, no matter what it looks like, will ultimately bring out the redemptive goodness of God. Hmm. 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 <laughs> so good. So good. What happens when I don't have a sound effects pan? I just go, mm. I just go, mm. Mm, like- This is really interesting to me. <laughs> I, I, re- I really am. I really am interested in the fact that this, this episode is airing on Christmas week, uh-huh. right? Because Clay- Clayton is saying, just do the next right thing because mm-hmm. you don't know that you might be actually stepping into God's bigger purposes mm-hmm. and you might be part of someone else's redemption. Mm-hmm. And what you're saying is don't ever doubt mm-hmm. that God is in the redemption business. Even when it doesn't look like it or feel like it, God is always redeeming. Mm-hmm. And so folks, Merry Christmas. Just remember that the coming of Jesus, the incarnation of Jesus is part of the overall story of God's redemption. He came on a rescue mission and nothing has gone too far. Nothing is too broken. God loves you. Merry Christmas. Thank you for listening to the podcast. And now is the fill-in host. I'm supposed to say all that stuff that Nikki says at the end of every podcast episode. But my guess is, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you probably already have it memorized. So I'm not saying any of it. Merry Christmas, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.